This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, it's really good to uh, see all of you here this morning. And I think today is a very challenging passage. And I think, as always, as we come to God's Word, we should come to Him with uh, humility and asking Him through His Holy Spirit to be guiding us and helping our hearts to be able to listen, but also to apply what He says. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you so much for your mercy towards us. And we pray once again that as we come to your Word, you'll teach us how we must live as those who have received your mercy. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A few months ago, I uh, was at Simlim Square. I'm sure most of you know where Simlim Square is. You know, that notorious place where people uh, get ripped off. But anyway, I decided to brave the jungle of Simlim Square in order to buy something. So anyway, I went there and I was going around. You know, if you've ever been to Simlim Square, it's quite a fascinating place because, you know, it's full of nooks and crannies and you have to take the escalator here and there. And uh, I went to this shop just walking past and someone was selling this uh, set-top box, and there's a huge crowd of people around them, uh, probably about uh, 10 people crowded around this guy selling this set-top box. And this guy was basically saying that this set-top box, uh, if you buy it for less than $150, you can watch every station that you can get normally via StarHub and Singtel. And even better, for less than $150, not only can you watch every station, HBO, EPL, whatever else, you don't even have to pay any monthly fees. So, well, needless to say, I was quite tempted. Because, you know, I only have the most basic Star Hub and I can only watch these few things. I was thinking, man, I only have to pay like three months worth of subscriptions to this guy and I can watch everything. So I think that's a very real question that we are faced with today. As as Christians, how should we, when we are faced with uh, questionable or legal things, how should we react so as a Christian, maybe you're tempted to download movies <clears throat> on the, the internet. I'm, I'm sure so. some of the older people, you don't know what I'm talking about. But for the younger people, I know, I know there is a great temptation to download the latest movies uh, using, you know, I don't know, all these weird Pirate Bay or whatever and stream the movies to watch. Or maybe if you're older and you're driving a car, you're tempted to speed. Or maybe we're tempted not to put the parking coupon or to cheat on the parking coupon. Or maybe I shouldn't pay as much tax or declare as much tax. Well, today's passage deals with that issue. How should we relate as Christians to governing authorities? And how diligent should we be in obeying the law? Should we be cutting corners or bending the rules? Okay, so over the last few months or last few weeks as well, we've been going through the whole book of Romans. And today we're up to chapter 13, but we need the background, right? So over and over again, the first few chapters of the book of Romans, it told us repeatedly how there is no one right before God. There is no one righteous, not even one. All deserve God's judgment, whether you're man, woman, child, adult. Everybody deserves God's judgment. But God has acted in love and mercy towards us. And as a result, he sent his son Jesus to take our punishment as a substitute. Now, the question is, as we come to chapter 12 and 13, how should we react in face of God's mercy, which frees us from our destiny of judgment and hell? Well, last week, we learned that the only right way of responding to God's mercy was to be a living sacrifice. All right, so let me read to you chapter 12, verse 1, because it's all 
flowing from chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And last week we learned that the proper and true worship of God was to give yourself as a living sacrifice in service to one another, in loving one another sincerely, in loving one another devotedly, in living as much as possible at peace with your neighbors and your families, and as far as it comes to you, to not take revenge, but to do good in the face of evil. But today, it t- turns to our relationship with the civil and governing authority. So verse 1 of chapter 13 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now these are very strong and very comprehensive and very powerful commands. If you receive the mercy of God, everyone, it says, must be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except which God has established. Now, the everyone here literally means if you have received the mercy of God, that means everyone, without exception, must submit to the authorities that God has put over us. Now, the word here for submission literally means to obey, to comply, or to follow. So as we look at just this first verse, it means that we need to sit under the authority of the governing authorities, whether we agree with the law or not, whether we feel it is stupid or not stupid, whether we feel that it is we are superior or inferior to it. There is no place for status, for discretion. It is just something that we are told to do because God has told us to do it and because we receive God's mercy. And this can be very difficult. I remember when I was living in a HDB flat in Woodlands, I was living in the furthest block from the multi-story car park. Now, for those of you who have that unfortunate experience, you know the, the, the frustration you have in parking your car far, far away and then walking all the way to your flat. And downstairs from my flat, there were all these empty uh, car parks, which, but unfortunately there was this sign next to it which says loading zone only, right? But the temptation is, I'm only going to be here for like, you know, a couple of minutes, an hour. Maybe I, I drop off my shopping, but I can't be bothered coming down to drop the car off. I wanted to just leave it for, for a while. And um, after all, that's what all my neighbors were doing, right? But the reality was that if I believed what God was saying, and I had received God's mercy, then it's not a choice, right? The law is the law, unless I'm loading. I should be parking where the car park is. And... The right way of dealing with disagreeing with that rule was to write to my MP or to petition, you know, the town council say, you know, maybe you should, you know, free up some of the loading zone places. But it is not up to my discretion to choose to obey or disobey the law. I should obey it because those are the rules which God has set over me through the governing authorities. And that's why in verse 6 and 7, if you look at this passage, it says, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time in governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So here, it expands the 
principle of submission and saying, look, we don't just owe money, but we owe respect and we owe honor to those governing authorities. You see, I think for us, the principle of submission can be a very difficult one. Uh, I don't know about you, but I know of some relatives of mine, they always are always complaining about the civil authorities that they come across. And they always feel that they're superior. So they'll say things like, oh, you know, I was fined by the by the LTA today, and uh, I, I was just a few minutes late. Don't don't, don't they know that I pay their taxes? Uh, you know, uh, these people, they don't know what they're doing. I know better. I'm a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, I'm university educated. But as a Christian, it says that when we relate to the governing authorities, we relate to them and give them the respect and honor that is due them because God has set them over us in authority. So that means that I can never be rude to a librarian. I remember I was in the library once and someone was telling off the librarian for asking them to keep quiet or asking their kids to keep quiet. That's not the right attitude. Again, I was in the hospital and I've seen people shout at the nurses. You know, again, that's the wrong attitude. Because that's not giving submission and respect and honor to those whom God has set over us in authority. Now, in verse 2 to 5, it actually says that there are consequences to rebelling against the authority that God has set over us. Now, the most obvious one is, it says there that God has given the authority a sword, right? So in verse 22, it says, Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, if you look at this passage, uh, it seems to suggest, like if you look at verse 4, if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. So the first reason to submit to the authority is because God has given governing authorities the sword or the symbol of punishment. Right. So if you do wrong, then you should expect to be punished. Right. You know... Um, Someone was telling us this very funny story in the Bible study about how they were speeding. You know, and then when you, when you go through the speeding camera, you get very stressed because, you know, there's four demerit points, six demerit points, eight demerit points, and how many hundred dollars of fines. But that is the sword by which the government has to punish you for wrongdoing. But I think that as Christians, it is more than just a sword that we fear because Part of the temptation of this world is, you know, uh, for those of you who are driving, I, I think I, I feel very guilty of all these illustrations because it all relates to me as well. But you know, sometimes when you're at the, at the, um, uh, the, the parking area, like, you know, you, you sort of want to tear off the parking coupons, right? So like you're like five minutes or like you're four minutes left. So then you think, okay, maybe I'll, I'll put it five minutes later and then you look around and say, parking attendant around because, you know, it takes how long will it take for them to walk to your car, right? So there's always that, okay, if I look around and I don't get caught, uh, okay, then I will bend the rules. But actually, what this passage says here is that judgment is not just from the sword, but judgment also comes from God himself. See, so that's why it says there in verse 7, right? Oh, sorry, it says there, oh sorry, in verse 5, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. 
See, for the non-Christian, they obey because they're scared of getting punished and caught. But if they don't have the fear of being punished and caught, then they don't obey. But for us as Christians, it is part of our awareness of God, our awareness of what God has done for us in mercy, our awareness of God being the ultimate judge, which makes us then comply with the law. So last week, if you look up here in the passage, uh, up there, yep, the verse 17, we were told about God's character as the judge, right? So part of why we don't take revenge is because God is the one who avenges. God is the one who judges. Now this same principle, which teaches us not to take revenge, also teaches us that we must obey the agents of God's authority. Because if we don't get caught by the law today, well, God will pay us back in the future anyway. Now, this is such an important thing to realize. Because I think that to a certain degree, we think of breaking the law as very trivial compared to, say, breaking the Ten Commandments. Right, so we think uh, murder, adultery, ah, okay, God says don't do that, but parking coupons, speed limits, paying taxes, you know, library books, these are all trivial things. But actually this passage says that if we don't relate to God in the living sacrifice way, in obeying God's governing authority, then the same way we are sinning against God and disobeying God, because God himself has put the authority over us. So if I choose to speed, I'm disobeying God. I'm not just disobeying the government. I'm not worshipping God the right way. Now, again, one of my sad stories. Many years ago, I was walking in Clementi. And, uh, okay, you can tell this many years ago because this will never happen now, right? But, but there were all these people selling pirated CDs, right? And uh, there were all these CDs of all these albums, which I thought, hey, that's really good. You know, I always wanted to buy those albums. And they were so cheap, right? And I think... Uh, my wife and family at the time were shopping somewhere. And you know, usually what the husbands do is they, 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 they just sort of, they're not really paying attention, right? So I, I think they're walking off and I got stuck at the pirated CD table where they <laughs> drifted off somewhere. So in the end, um, the salesman was so persuasive and so pushy that I ended up buying some pirated CDs. But then... As I got to my wife, she said, what did you buy? I said, oh, God, what's this on these pirated CDs? And she said, oh, how can you buy that? You know, it's really wrong. Oh, this is many years ago, okay? This is not like yesterday, okay? <laughs> anyway, so as I was carrying these pirated CDs home, I could feel my plastic bag feel heavier and heavier, right? And I thought to myself, why should I risk God's wrath for the sake of just a couple of dollars? Right? Why should I disobey God just to save some money and listen to some music. Now what's music compared to worshipping God and God's mercy? Why should I spit on God's mercy and not live rightly just because I wanted to save a couple of bucks, right? So I wonder whether that's you. Right? Are you in the habit of breaking the law? Are you in the habit of going against the governing authorities. Well, the question then is, what about your conscience? What, are, what about your awareness of God? What about your, 
your response to God's mercy. Because why would you want to risk disobedience to God and ungratefulness to God's mercy for the sake of just cutting the corner? Now, one of the questions, uh, as you can see in the outline, that people ask is, well, but what about laws which which go against uh, who we are as Christians? So what happens if the government says, you can't own your Bible, or you can't read a Bible, or you can't evangelize, or you can't meet as Christians? Do we then submit to those authorities? Well, the principle would go against what we are reading here in Romans, because we only submit because we recognize God and God's mercy to us. If we were then to deny God, then we would take away God and His mercy and there would be no motivation for us to obey the authority in the first place. But within chapter 13 itself, God is the ultimate authority. And the government is the agent of God, which is subordinate to God. So if the agent of God himself makes us deny the ultimate authority, God, then again, we cannot do so. Because God is the ultimate authority at all times. So that's why in the book of Acts chapter 5, when the apostles early on in church history were, were ordered by the ruling authorities not to evangelize, what did they say? Well, when they had brought them, they had them stand before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, in the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. So I think the principle is clear. If there's a clash between obeying God and human authorities, we must always obey God first. But this is not what this passage is talking about. Because it's just talking about the normal uh, operation of government for the good of society. But it says there that in verse 4, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. So actually when you think about it, the government is actually there in a normal process, to do good for society, to do good for you. Our desire often to break the law is for my own good, not the good of other people, not the love of other people, which is the principle in the Bible. So I remember uh, many years ago when my kids were young, outside their school, was a pedestrian crossing, which was specifically designed for school children. And next to the pedestrian crossing, as always the case, there was the jagged line, and parents were not allowed to park their car along that jagged line because it was for the children's good. But you know what the problem is? The problem is the pedestrian crossing is always right in front of the gate of the school, so the temptation is to park right in front of the gate so that you can pick up your kids instead of parking far away, and your kids have to go and go and find you a long way away, right? So over time, all the parents started on both sides of the road, started parking right in front of the pedestrian crossing. Until one day, someone actually knocked over one of the students. And then the next day, the traffic police came, and everybody had to park far away where they're supposed to park. 
See, that actually shows that the rules have a purpose for the good of people. It's actually good to not park next to the pedestrian crossing. It's good not to speed because you could be a danger to yourself and other people. It's good to to wear your seatbelt, right? It's good for your children to be buckled up. It is good not to drink and drive. It is good to pay your parking ticket. It is good to pay taxes because you need to fund the building of roads and parks and whatnot. And I think that's one thing that we have to recognize, that we live actually in an age, I was reading some articles in the newspaper, where people are very negative about government. Uh, there were surveys done where, especially among young people, there is a, a, a much larger distrust and cynicism and apathy of government than ever before. There is no trust in any social institution. Teachers, doctors, uh, clergy, government, everybody is seen to be uh, in a very negative light. But what this passage actually says is government is actually meant for the good of people. So even bad government sometimes is good. So I was reading this article about how in Iraq and Syria and Somalia, in all those places which had bad government, the Christians were actually better treated than today where there is no government. The Christians may have been discriminated against, but at least they didn't die and they they weren't forced to lose their property and run away. So actually government is good most of the time. So the challenge today is as Christians... Are you submitting to the governing authorities? Because they have been put there by God, they've been put there for our good, and if we disobey them, yes, we will be punished, but we will also be judged by God. And it's the wrong response of God's mercy to not submit to the government, governing authorities. Now, in verse 8 to 10, the focus changes, but still links with what comes before. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love, there is no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So the connection in verse 8 with what comes in verse 6 to 7 is, he says, you know, pay your taxes, pay your revenue, yeah? And when you pay it, you're done for the year, right? I've, I've fulfilled my debt. You know, when you get your tax form, it says pay how much. Once you pay it, that's your debt paid. But the Bible says that there is one debt that can never be paid to the full. And that is the debt of love. The love for one another. So here the passage turns our focus back to how we relate to one another as a community of believers. Right, so you notice the passage keeps like moving around. Right? How do we relate to people outside? How do we relate to people in governing authorities? Now we come back to the church. How do we relate to one another? We relate to another in love. And we always owe one another love. We can never say we've loved enough. We've paid enough love. This comes back to chapter 12. Verse 9, right? So last week we saw that one of the ways in which we offer ourselves a spiritual worship, living sacrifice, is to love. And it says that love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, 
Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So you can never say that I've given enough sincere love to each other. I can never say I've given enough devoted love to one another. As we have all received God's mercy, all of us must love one another and never stop. Loving one another, this passage says, is the fulfillment of the law. And that is true. Because the Ten Commandments is actually about loving God, which is the first half, loving other people in the second half. And if you love one another, you won't break the law. Because if you love someone, how can you steal from them? You can't steal in love, right? If you love someone, how can you commit adultery against their spouse? If you love someone, how can you covet what they have? If you love someone, how can you murder them? You can't, right? It's impossible. And therefore, it says there, the law is summed up by the command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a very extreme form of love, right? If you look at all the other religions, it always says, don't do to something what you don't want other people to do to you. But as Christians, those who receive God's mercy, it goes even further. It says, do to others, love other your neighbor as you would want other people to love you. So, like you wouldn't want someone to murder you, right? You wouldn't want someone to steal from you. But even more, you want to show sincere love and devotion to others because that's what you want other people to show you. Now, we understand the concept, but do we put it into practice? Can I remember this Charlie Brown cartoon um, that I photocopied, I uh, printed out a long time ago? It's quite funny, right? Because it's about how, uh, um, what's the guy's name? Linus, right? Uh, and uh, what's the girl's name? Lucy says to Linus, why, why do you, you know, who, how can you be a doctor, right? Because uh, you don't, you don't love mankind. He says, you know, I love mankind, but it's people I can't stand. So, you know, in theory, yeah, we say, yes, we love. We love one another, but, but do we actually practice love uh, to one another? You know, um, it would be good if you could turn to your neighbor beside you and, and, and say, you know, you, you owe me love, right? Because actually that's what we, we really do owe each other, right? You owe each other love, right? But the reality is that uh, in many churches, we do not pay the debt of love. We don't, we don't actually love one another. In fact, we do the opposite, right? We do what it says there in verse 10. Instead of loving others, we harm our neighbor. So, I saw this article in the the internet. Next slide. About this uh, Christian woman who shared about how she was a a church worker, but she actually became an atheist. And it was very sad reading her account in the, the blog. Because... What happened was um, she went to visit a friend in Canada and then she was sexually assaulted by her friend. But she was scared to share it when she came back to church because she was worried that people would condemn her. So when she did share, uh, some people were sympathetic, but again, people really didn't show her much love 
for what had happened to her. And then later on, uh, subsequently, she was very vulnerable, but nobody again came alongside her to help and care for her. And then later on, when she had doubts in her faith, in case, in, rather than supporting or encouraging her, uh, her church accused her of causing problems. And according to her, the only memories of her church uh, were an obsession with money and fighting among church leaders. And I felt very sad reading it. It's a very long account if you actually get to read it, right? But fundamentally, at this church, it disobeyed Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 10. As people had received God's mercy, they weren't loving her. They weren't loving her as they would like her to have been loved as themselves. It was not sincere love. It was not devoted love. And that debt of love was never paid to her. Right? They never pay, paid that debt of love to her. And instead of loving her, she was actually harmed by the church. And as a result, she lost her faith. So I think the challenge to us is, when is the last time that you've acted in sincere love or devoted love to somebody else in church? When is the last time you paid that debt, the unpayable debt to somebody uh, who needed it, where you treated that person with love in the same way that you would have liked to be loved from others. Well, verse 11 onwards, Paul sort of summarizes and stops there. And it's a bit like a sandwich, right? Verse 11 to verse 14 is a bit of a sandwich to chapter one, verse chapter 12, verse 1. Right? It says, do this. In verse 11, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So that this here is not just about love, but rather everything that happens from chapter 1, chapter 12 verse 1 onwards, right? To be devoted to one another, to love one another, to, to, to not take revenge. Do all these things because the hour is nearer. And what is the hour? The hour of Jesus' return. Now, why I say it's a sandwich is because chapter 12, verse 1 says that because of what God has done in the past in showing us His mercy, then we must live in a certain way. In chapter 13, verse 11, it says because of what God is going to do in the future in Jesus, you must live this way. So because of what happens in the past, because of what happens in the future, we, we are compelled to live in a certain way. See, knowing the time is very important. See, let's say you're on the Titanic, you know, the boat that sank, right? And you know that the boat is going to sink. But if you know the boat is going to sink, you're not going to be wasting time, you know, dancing or drinking or eating or reveling. But you're going to be getting on your life jacket, getting onto the lifeboat. Because right? you know what's going to happen. The same way, what this passage tells us is that, look, you know what God has done in the past, but you also need to know what God is going to do in the future, that Jesus is going to come and it's closer today than it was yesterday. You need to wake up. You need to be roused from your moral and your spiritual drowsiness to apply what you've just read. You need to love. You need to serve. You need to not take revenge because Jesus is coming soon. And we are given a picture of darkness and night and day and light. And it says, you know, we are living 
in two times. We're living in the time of darkness now. Uh, a time of night. And this darkness and night is characterized by three pairs of sins. Alright, so uh, if you look here in verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. See, these are the things which characterize the evil of our times, you know, while living. Uh, sexual sin, but surprisingly, sins that tear apart community. You know, we, we would not put those three things together usually, right? People would denounce while living, people would denounce uh, sexual sins, but how many people denounce uh, sins of division, dissension, and jealousy, tearing apart of community? Now, this part actually links back with the love part, isn't it? Because we take division very lightly. We take sexual sins and while living very seriously, but we don't take division and dissension seriously. But but according to this passage, that characterizes the light, sorry, the darkness and the night. So instead of having devoted love, sincere love, sometimes churches, Christians, people who receive God's mercy, they are still living the darkness of division, causing harm to one another and splitting up people. And that's why it says here that instead of living in the darkness or the night, we must live in the light. So what it says there, rather, in verse 14, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So it actually uses a few images, right? So in verse 12, put on the armor of light. In verse 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ or put on uh, Jesus Christ. Now, it's a very powerful illustration. Okay, putting on armor of light, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, it characterizes that we must be who we are. It's, it's a picture of identity. So just as there are two times, right, the time of darkness, time of night, the time of light, the time of the day when Jesus comes. So there are two types of people in this world, not Chinese, Caucasian, or Indian, or blacks. The two types of people are those who are living in the darkness and the night, who are characterized by sexual morality, debauchery, dissension, jealousy. But there are also other people who are characterized by light and Jesus Christ. So I, I remember hearing this good illustration once before about how it's a bit like, you know, imagine you're at a dinner table and you're eating like chili crab or something. You get really dirty, okay? So someone else comes to you and exchanges their pure white shirt with yours. So you're now clothed in white. Now I think that's a very effective illustration if you can think of all the dirt on yourself as like all your the sins and all the evil and things that you've done. So Jesus gives us his pure white cloth. Right? We are clothed with purity. But what it means is that it's not a one-off action, but a continuous action where we continue to clothe ourselves with the light of Jesus and Jesus Christ himself. It's not that, okay, I've accepted Jesus, I'm now clean, I can go back to the world and be dirty again. No. 
It means that I've been clothed to Jesus. This is my new identity. I am a person of the light, not darkness. I will continue to clothe myself with Jesus. See, that's why it comes back to chapter 12 again. There's a, there's a, a very close parallel, right? If you look at chapter 1. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And we already learned that the pattern of this world is darkness. Right? Night. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? So we are to live not in the darkness of that age, of this world, but be transformed more and more to be who we are. People of Jesus Christ. See, at the end of the day, it's all about identity. If you have received God's mercy, if you are a Christian, if Jesus has saved you, then live out your life as that person. A person of light. And keep putting on Jesus Christ on yourself. That means that we must submit to authorities. That means we must love one another and keep on loving one another. Sincerely, devotedly. Now, you know, we show our identity so many ways. You know, people wear crosses, people wear t-shirts with Christian signs. We come to church on Sunday. But these are just externals, right? I mean, I can have on my car a sign on Jesus, but if I drive in a, in a way which is bad and speeding and everything and I don't book parking coupons, I'm not really showing my identity as a Christian. I'm showing myself as someone who lives according to this world in darkness. But my identity, according to the Bible, must be shown in the way I submit to authorities, in the way I love, in the way I serve one another. So I pray that as people who have all received God's mercy, who know that Jesus is coming, that we will continue to show what we really are. People of the light, people who are clothed in Jesus Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to confess to you how hard it is to hear these words. That we do struggle in many ways to submit to the agents of your rule, to the governing authorities. We pray that we may submit to the law, that we will not be tempted to bend or cut corners, that indeed we will give them honor, respect, and taxes and revenue. Dear Father, we admit that the next uh, command to love without end, to Realize that love is a debt that can never be paid. is a difficult one. Dear Father, you know how many times we have not loved as we would others love us. We pray that we may never be causing harm to our neighbor, but have sincere love and devoted love to each other. Dear Father, we pray that you may convict our hearts if we are wrong in this way, if we have not loved this way. And we pray that as we have received your mercy, we will love and love without end. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.